You know what I mean? But our culture is defined like that. And then the culture also, you could put in music in there, right? The music these days, a lot of mumbling going on, right? How many know what I'm talking about? Right? So you got like a music culture that you could throw in there as far as like the overall culture. You got the, the dress wear, the way people dress now, tight pants now, right? Before, back in my days, it was like real baggy pants. Even the girls wore Real baggy pants. No lie. It was all baggy pants. Now it's like you can't even walk. It's like, dude, I'm just doing my thing. Don't even worry about me. I got this. My pants are tight. It's okay. But, like, it's different things. The beers now is part of our culture, right? People got long beers, you know, looking like terrorists, whatever. Just like beards, right? But these, this is all part of the culture. But yet we're talking about today that Christians are counter or opposing or against culture. So in saying that definition, right, I want you guys to start thinking about this even right now and answer the question, are you a Christian that is countercultural? Or are you a Christian that is with the culture? It's a big difference there. See, it gets quiet when you, when you talk about that or you ask those kind of questions. It gets quiet because now you start looking at yourself like, man, I, I don't think I'm doing it right right now, right? I don't think I'm a countercultural Christian. I think I'm, I'm kind of like with the culture, you know, like, I just love sin. I just love these kind of things. And so we're going to talk about that today because the Bible talks about that. Amen? And so if you can open up your Bibles, we're going to 1 John chapter 2. And we left off at verse 14, but so we're going to kick it off at verse 15. Amen? As you guys are looking for that, if you got anybody else who's, who's done, let's bow our heads and let's pray and give it up to Jesus. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you would have your way. I ask Holy Spirit that you would anoint my words that it would not be my words, but that it would be your words, God. I ask, Lord God, for a fresh revelation, fresh insight, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, God, that you would speak right now, God. Use me as your messenger, Lord God, to speak what does says the Lord. I pray, God, that you would have your way today. I ask, Lord God, that every youth in here, every person in here, Lord God, that you would give them understanding, comprehension, Lord God, that they will be able to receive exactly what you're trying to tell us, starting from the pastor on down, God. And that, Lord, we will make the decision today to be Jesus freaks, God. That we will make the decision today to be counter-cultural Christians, God. To be rebels for Christ. I ask, Father God, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, bless this time, God. We give it up to you. In your name, we all say, amen. Praise God. Let's give it up for Jesus Christ. We are going to jump right into this thing. Last week, we talked about and learned in the first half of chapter 2, that was, verse, that was verse 3, all the way to verse 14. And we talked about how real recognizes real. How many of you remember that? Right? One, two, person, two people, three, four. You guys are all messed up. Five, six. There it goes. The hand's going up little by little, right? And then we, what do we use in a sermon? What did I use in a sermon as an example? Go ahead. A mirror, right? How many people remember the mirror? Right? How many people went home and broke every single mirror you had in your house? Like, forget that and the mirror. I'm breaking every mirror. I don't want to see a mirror now because you're scared to look at yourself because you don't see or reflect Jesus Christ. But it's, it's okay. Repent and do it like the way Jesus will have you to do it. But we, we learn how real recognizes real by looking into the mirror of who Jesus is and what his life represents and doing a self-examination. How many people did a self-examination last week or even throughout the week? You looked at yourself and like, uh... Am I, am I walking the way Jesus told me to walk? Am I living the way God would have me to live? So we did, a, we did uh, in doing a self-examination of our own lives in comparison to Jesus' life to see if we are who we say we are, real Christians 
followers of Jesus Christ who are constantly growing to be more like Jesus. How will we, who are we going to be like? Jesus, right? So it's not Kanye. It's not all these other dudes. not Chief Keith. It's to grow more to be like Jesus. We learn if we claim to know and live in Jesus, there must be evidence of such through our obedience and living like Jesus did. If there, is, if there are no such things in our lives, the Bible, God himself, calls us a liar and states that the truth is not in us. Any liars in the house? Nobody want to raise their hand, right? Hopefully nobody's a liar in this house. Hopefully we can all say with confidence, I live like Jesus. If there are no, we also learn if we are the light, we would work to help the cause of Christ in the lives of other believers and lead them away from sin by the way we live our lives in Christ. Anybody this week lead anybody else to sin? Anybody did that? Right? Did anybody help anybody else go closer to Jesus Christ by the way you lived your life? That's a testimony we would love to hear about. Amen? So that's how we, that's how we can examine our lives in these type of ways. And so, therefore, our conclusion was real recognized real by the growth we exhibit and display in Christ to the whole world. We have a mirror that's attached to us, according to last week's message, and that when other people see the mirror, they ought to see Jesus Christ and recognize their need of a Savior. Amen? That's what we learned last week. In this half of chapter 2, we will learn that Christians are counter-cultural. Counter meaning to act in an opposition to the culture in which we live in. We stand and live against the culture and generation we live in that represents the world itself through all its beliefs, lifestyle, political views, and all that is against God. That is what we're coming against. All that is against God. We do not flow with this sinful culture like, well, everybody else is doing it, the majority is doing it, so why not be gay too? If everybody else is bisexual, why not be bisexual too? That's just a cool thing. It's a cultural thing. This is what we do, right? Hey, if why not? Everybody else smoking weed, they're about to legalize this sucker. Fire that sucker up, yo. Let's just do it. I got halves, right? This is the kind of mentality we have. This is what the world is trying to teach us. And the Bible is telling us, though, to be counter or against such behavior because it is against God himself. And so we do not flow with that sinful culture. We rebel. Any rebels in here? Right? Any rebels for Jesus in here? Don't be scared. Be bold in Christ. I'm a rebel for Jesus Christ. We rebel against it by loving God through loving people, but hating sin and the world that represents sin. Are you a countercultural Christian or are you a counter Christ? Easy, easy question to answer. Are you a countercultural Christian or, in the, as the word puts it, or are you an antichrist? One who is against Christ. And that's what we're about to learn right now. We're going to read right now verses 15 through 17 in chapter 2, and this is what the Word of God says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Should we love some of the things in the world? Right? Should we love just a little bit of things in the world? When we're having a bad day, should we then indulge in the things of the world? No. The Bible says do not love the world or anything. Somebody say anything. In the world. In the Bible, when you read words like all, anything, everything, it means just that. It don't mean like anything, but, you know, that was back in the days. Now we changed the definition this time. Anything really means like just some things. Like, dude, I can get a little high sometimes, right? I can go on ahead and do whatever I want to do sometimes. It doesn't mean anything. No, it means anything. 
If anyone, thank you. If anyone loves the world, check this out. Love for the Father is not in him. Do you see how serious John is saying? He's real direct in his approach in the Bible and speaking to us. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Who lives forever? Thank you. One person, right? Let's try this again. Who lives forever? The one who does the will of God. You guys, like, didn't even hear that. Like, look, I ain't doing God's will, and I'm still going to live forever. No, you're not. Right? You're going to live forever, but it depends whether heaven or hell. All right? Make sure it's heaven. Amen? So the thing is, this is what John is trying to tell us and, and, uh, and get us to see in a real clear and transparent way. He talks directly to us. And it's real simple. We cannot love both the world and the things of the world and love God at the same time. See, some of us try to attempt that. Matter of fact, some of us even try to attempt it today. We didn't have no school. Mama, daddy went straight to work. We're all alone in the crib. And some of us then committed some sins at the crib, right? At the house, if you guys don't know what crib means. How many know what crib means? Right? All right, so I can go with everybody pretty much knows. For you guys that didn't raise your hand, talk to Abel. He got you. He knows Ebonics. He's, he's got skills. So the thing is, right? We cannot fully love God due to having reservations or saving ourselves for the world and the things of the world. The two cannot come together. Therefore, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. This is the first example of Christians being counter-cultural. In that although we love the world in a sense of loving people to Christ and recognizing that this is a fallen world because of sin, people are going to hell if you don't tell them about the gospel or reflect Jesus Christ so they can have an example of how to live for Christ or have a desire for the saving Christ, right? So it is our job to love the world in a sense of loving the people to Jesus Christ, but not being a part of the world. We do not act or love the things in the world. The things of the world are the things that go against God and the way God would have us to behave or live as Christians who represent God through godly living and godly love. Do you guys understand what's going on? It's real simple, straight, direct. We cannot love both of them. We're either going to love the world or we're going to love God, but we cannot do both. And so he gives us the ultimatum right there and then. You're either going to love God or you're going to love the world. And see, John is trying to give us an understanding of something that is so, like, obvious, so apparent, but yet we miss it all the time because anytime something happens within our own lives, we go right back to the very world in which we claim to not love. And the reason being is because you can act like or we can act like we don't love the world on an outer side, but on the inside, still crave the very things of the world itself. And so we have to deal with these things. And so he's giving us a simple, clear commandment. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so he goes on and he starts giving a description of what happens in the world, everything in the world. And he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Three things he named right there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so we have to understand that the lust of the flesh is sensual, meaning it uses the five senses. It's physical. 
It's the sexual cravings. Many times it leads to that. The sexual cravings without control or lacking self-control. And so we look at it and we begin to come. And when you look at the, the Greek words of these things, it, it attributes it to an animalistic behavior. It's basically saying you're the lust of the flesh, you become like an animal without any self-control and want to tear some stuff up. You become having cravings as though you were some kind of werewolf and, or some vampire needing blood and to kill somebody to drink their blood. It's a craving. You cannot resist it. It's something like that, like you long for it. You want it. And that is what comes from the world, the Bible says. And the lust of the eyes, outward temptations that bring inward cravings. And so we begin to look at materialistic things, and we begin to crave those things. Cars, females, guys, sex, self-pleasure, right? All these lusted eyes that we see the world doing, and the world begins to get our attention. And we say, man, I want to be like the world. That is the cool crowd. I want to be like them. These dudes have all the money. I want to get money. And we start having these cravings because we start seeing things. And what happens is that those very things that we crave with our eyes on the outside, the temptation on the outside, begins to come and affect our inward nature. And so the world uses our very self against us. And so moving on to the next one, it says, and the pride of life. This is, oh, this is the, 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 the expression of the pride of life. We have a mentality that this is owed to me. Bringing an evil completion to the other two lusts and cravings. It says, do not, it does not come from the Father, but from the world. This does not come from God. It is opposite or counter to the things of God. Therefore, we can have an outward expression of not loving these things while still having an inward love for them that must be dealt with and not left unchecked. And look, let me tell you the intent, the intentions of the world itself. The intent of the world is to get us to rely upon the world in the now of things and put the Father in the future sense or regard of life. And so what happens is this is the intention of the world. I need you guys to hear me real fast. All these three areas come from the world. It does not come from God. So when you assume even things that may, may seem like they're not sin in themselves, but yet we make them sinful because we end up putting those very things in front or before God. Let me give you an example real fast. Some of us may be having a heartache, right? They broke our heart. We're calling ourselves Christians. They broke our heart. Now we have a broken heart. We're feeling pain. We're crying and we're sad. And instead of going to God himself, we go to the very world in which we claim to, to hate and, and not love. We go to the world. Instead of calling on Jesus, we call on Facebook. Instead of calling on the Lord, we pick up our cell phone and we call our best friend. Instead of doing these other things or whatever and seeking God through his word, we seek out pornography. We seek out different methods and ways in order to make this flesh just feel a little bit lighter. Because we're going through something. And what happens is that the enemy, the devil himself, uses the world to tempt us in these three areas. And it's all to get us to abide or remain or to act as though we are part of the world. When in fact our, our, our calling, our identity as Christians calls us to live outside of such world. And so many of us in this room. We claim to say, I don't love the world, I love God. But yet when things happen within our, within our own lives, we go right back to the world in which we claim to hate. There's a big difference there. And so we think, man, I do this, I get comfort with this, it's okay, you know what I mean? I hate the world, I just, you know, I just need a break. I just need a little cigarette or something, I just need to smoke a little weed and I'll be okay. And see, what happens is that we take a temporary pleasure that the world gives us, 
in place of eternity. And so what happens is that we assume and are deceived and thinking, man, I'm just going to get this little, my little rocks off or whatever. It's going to make me feel better. I'm going to be okay. But you don't realize that what the world does and the intentions of the world is always to grab a hold of you to make you crave even more. It never satisfies. It never completes. It always has you craving for more. And see, that's why God was saying, you cannot love the world and then love me. If you love the world, the love of God cannot be inside of you. You know why? Because love does something. See, I love my wife, right? I love my wife. And so what happens is if I'm having a bad day, you know what love does? Love begins to reach out to the wife. Love will then ask for a hug. Love will then go on ahead and respond or seek the one that it loves. So if we're loving the world, we will then seek out means and satisfaction, comfort, and a type of good feeling from the world and not from God. But when you love God and you become counter-cultural against the world, when these things begin to happen, your love will draw you to God rather than draw you to the world. And that's what John is trying to get us to do and to get us to see. That we assume and think that these little things that we do, these little ripples in the pond really don't have any meaning, but you don't see how far that ripple goes. That temptation and that desire and that locking of the world in our lives begins to go so far, farther than you intended to ever go inside the world. And so somebody who called themselves a Christian now find themselves all in the world. They don't even want to be satisfied by God no more. Because they tasted that first high. They tasted that first craving. They fulfilled the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it locked them just like a bear trap locks your leg if you step in it. I've been playing a lot of little um, Rainbow Six C's. And you know they got that little, you know what I'm talking about? How many people got that game? Right? I know it's a little side note or whatever. But you guys know what I'm talking about? The girls are like, dude, I don't care. I got a purse. I just bought it yesterday. That's what I'm talking about. But the thing is, in there, they got a bear trap. When you're caught up in that bear trap, you're not going anywhere. And the point of the world is to get us to operate in the things that come from the world and not come from God. And the main thing is for them is so we can continue to abide in these things. We need to understand that because the word abide means to accept or act in accordance with the truth. Of what, or a false truth for the matter when it comes down to the world. It's to act, accept, and act in accordance with. So the means of the world and the intentions of the world when we start falling off into these things is the world's intention is to get us to act in accordance with the world. So then all of a sudden, we stop becoming cultural Christian, counter-cultural Christians to now we're doing counter-Christ things. So now it's like, no, nah, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus. No, I'm good. I'm in the world. And see, the thing is, the devil's been deceiving people since before we were born. And he does it the same three ways. He does it the same three ways. And he deceives us in thinking, God is okay with this. This had to come from God because I feel a little bit better now. I feel good right now. I'm like, like dude, I had sex or whatever. I got my rocks off. Like, I ain't even tripping on that stuff. It's going to be okay. I'm going to have a happy day. I'm going to have a happy day. But we're not realizing that it's only a temporary thing. You may say, man, I'm going to be okay, man. I got my girl, and we're good. We're okay. But how long is that going to last when the, until that girl starts liking somebody else? And then you're right back at square one. Or when that guy starts liking another chick, and now you're heartbroken again, and now you're back at square one. Right? What happens when that weed no longer satisfies anymore? And you're like, dude, this ain't enough, man. I need four blunts. 
and now you got to smoke four blunts. And you feel a little bit better for a little bit now. You wake up, smoke, you know, smoke four more blunts, and you go from there. I know this because I used to sell weed and smoke weed myself. I'm telling you, this is what happens. And the point of the matter is, it's just to suck you in. That's all it is. It's to suck you in so that you can now, instead of getting the things from the Father, God, we want to get the things from the world. And we trade what God could really give that is true is joy, peace, love, self-control, completion. He becomes our soulmate. No other human being can be our soulmate. God is our soulmate. He's the one who can complete us. Stop seeking that girl. Stop seeking that guy thinking, man, I'm going to be complete. I'm going to be okay. No, that only comes from Jesus Christ. You've been deceived by the world because you tasted a little temporary satisfaction, and now you're still going after that same high. You will never get as high as God can get you. I'm telling you that right now. I sold drugs. I did drugs. I loved sex. I had a lot of it, and I had to repent of it, and none of it brought me completion or satisfaction like Jesus did. None of it. It was Jesus Christ that did these things. Let me move on because it's like it's just that point right there is just so vital, man. But the thing is, what happens in the end is that was the intention of the world. And so Paul, uh, John keeps on going in verse 17, and he says, The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This reminded me when I read it of Matthew, another eyewitness of Jesus Christ, when he said in Matthew 16, 26, he said, What good is it if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What must, we must be countercultural in that we forfeit the world and its desires in order to gain eternal life through Jesus Christ and does what he commands and desires. You see, it's that individual that does the will of God who lives forever because the reality of it, all these things that we see, they are passing away. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's destroying all this other nonsense that's going on. He's making a new heaven and a new earth according to the Bible. And so all these things are passing away. And what John is trying to get us to see, we are trading eternity for a temporary pleasure that only lasts for a week the most. We're trading it, stupid trade, for eternity, for something that's temporary. And so John is calling us out, and he's saying, come on, come together, join with me, just as Jesus was. Let's be rebels for Christ. Let's be counter-cultural Christians. And so the first true or false says, a Christian can love the world and God at the same time. Is that true or false? It's false. We can love only one because both love of the world and love of God are opposed and counter to each other. They don't even go again. They don't even mix. It's like water and oil. Because the things that the the world gives us always leads to more and more sin. The things that come from God Almighty always leads to more and more righteousness. Leads to blessings. It leads to lifting up the name of Jesus. And moving on in 1 John 2, 18 to 26, but we're going to break that down. 18 and 19 says this. Dear children, do we have any children of God here? Any children of God most high? We can clap it up. It's okay. Be bold or whatever. We've been adopted. One day we were going to hell. Jesus stepped in, and now we're going to heaven. We have eternal life. I'm a child of the living God. This is the last hour. He's confirming what he said in verse 17, saying these things are going to pass away. This is the last hour, meaning Jesus Christ is at the brink and about to return and come for a ready people. 
And as you have heard what the, the Antichrist is coming, he's talking about the one, the actual one in Revelation who will come against and be against God and everything God does and lead many people astray. But then he goes on and says, but even now, many Antichrists have come. And he's talking about those false teachers we've been talking about in this series who he was writing against. It says, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, meaning they were Christians, supposedly. They were used to chill with us. We used to eat shrimp. We used to chill and play pool. I invited them to my house. We used to play video games together. We used to do these things. We used to kick it. We used to go on camping trips. They went to the lock-in with us. They were with us. But they came out. They went out from us. But they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But, they, but their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. Real explanatory. He's talking about the false teachers. And the question is, and we can bring the application to that because that's pretty basic. But the real question is, are there any antichrists in this room? See, just because your parents are Christians don't mean you're Christians. Just because you get to sit in an elevate youth group every Friday doesn't make you one of us. Doesn't make you a believer. Because you could be an antichrist inside your heart. So it doesn't make you a believer. The real question is, are you with Christ or against Christ? See, because right here, it just shows you how much of a rebel Jesus Christ was. He didn't play no games. He went up to people and he told them just like that, are you for me or against me, homie? I ain't with you. Okay, cool, you go do your thing. I'm going this way. I'm not even going to waste my time. I'm not even going to waste my time. And he's asking the same question even in this room. Are you for Christ or are you against Christ? Are you countercultural or are you counter-Jesus? Which one are you? Because being a cultural, a countercultural Christian will be tested and proved that will answer such a question. See, it's tested, it's tested every single day when we go to our schools. And you're inside that classroom, and now they're talking about something that you know you ain't even supposed to be talking about. Talking about how they had sex with a girl last night. They recorded it. And, man, dude, it was all over the place. You put it on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's going down, yo. This, that, and the other. They're describing all type of body parts and all this stuff. And you're sitting there, and your heart beating is so fast because you know I am a counter-cultural Christian, or at least I'm supposed to be. But yet I'm involved in this conversation. Right now, what am I going to do? And right there and then, counter-cultural Christian is being tested. What are you going to do, homie? What are you going to do, homie? What are you going to do? You see, I get tested too. Just because I'm a pastor don't mean I'm exempt of this stuff. I go to work, people start gossiping, and I got to sit there and ask the question, hmm, am I going to stay here and listen to this nonsense? Or am I going to want to change this whole conversation real fast and talk about Jesus? Oh, I'm going to pick the latter one. And I tell them just like, kids, you're not. I tell them just like that. I say, dude, you know what? Instead of doing that, you know what I do? Oh, what you do, man? I just come to work. And I smile and I stay in my lane. And I make sure I just honor Jesus. They want to act crazy? You go act a fool by yourself. That's on you. But I'm going to do my job unto Jesus Christ with excellence, and that's what I'm going to do. Oh, man, you know what, dude? You're right, man. Yeah, I don't even worry about this. Yeah, don't worry about it. Let's go eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Let's go do something else. And you change it. This literally happened. This is all a true story. I'm not even lying. You change the subject. You be counter that conversation because it's not bringing God glory. You be counter to the rumors that they're trying to spread about somebody else. You be counter the sexual immorality that they're trying to talk about or be about. You be counter that session they're trying to have at the school and they're trying to drink a little bit and smoke a little bit. You be counter those things and you say, oh, hold on, homie. I'm a rebel for Christ, man. All that stuff, I'm not even about that stuff, man. And you need, about, you need not to be about that stuff either because Jesus Christ is coming. And so we turn these situations around. Yes, you're going to get persecuted. Jesus was. 
Yes, they're going to talk about you. May, may even say, oh, you little Jesus freak, you little holy roller, and all this other dumb stuff they be saying. They may say that, but I don't care. Yeah, you may get a call from your mom, and, and she may say things like, that was your best friend, though. Mom, I don't care. This literally happened to me. You guys know the business with this. I, I said this before. I had to let go of my best friend. Praise God. He's serving Jesus right now like a straight-up Jesus freak. Praise the Lord. Prayer. God hears prayers and answer it. But one day, God said, look, it's the time for you to be countercultural. Your best friend, he's a sinner, backslidden, having sex, doing all type of drugs. Let him go. What? Okay. So I had to call him up. He came to the house. I had to holler at him and tell him, dude, you can't even come in my house because God said you can't come in my house. I need to let you go. I, he was my best friend, more than a brother for 10 years. And then after that, I get a phone call. He left mad or whatever, crying. I was crying too, like, God, it's got to be another way. No, whatever. Yeah, you're going to shed some tears. It's going to hurt or whatever. But you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. See, all this stuff, man, this temporary little persecution don't mean nothing to what God is about to do in our lives in the coming age. I'm telling you guys. And so I get a call from my mom, and he was like, he was your best man. He's your best friend. How can you do this? And then she was shocked when reality hit. When I told her, Mom, look, I had to do it because God told me to do it. I ain't with all this stuff. I'm a Jesus freak. Oh, but how can you do that? I said, Mom, let me just clarify something real fast to end this conversation. If God told me right now to disown you and stop talking to you, then you will be the one I will be calling instead of him. What? I'm gone. You're doing too much. Hangs up the phone. I don't care. I will keep doing too much because I'm a countercultural Christian. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care if you're a family member. I don't care if you're my best friend. I'm about Jesus' business. I'm a countercultural Christian. And are you a countercultural Christian? Are you counter Christ? Which one are you? It's a question you need to ask yourself. And so moving on, it says in verse 20 and 23, it says, but you have an anointing, hallelujah, from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. The anointed one he's talking about is the Holy Spirit that all of us get when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and repent of our sins. We're given the anointed one, and the purpose of the anointed one is to guide us and lead us to all truth that Jesus Christ stood on and Jesus Christ gave. He leads us. He guides us. And so John is talking to Christians right here, and he said, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It says we must rely on the Holy Spirit who leads us to the truth and confirms the truth in us and about others who claim to be believers. You see, some of you guys may be sitting by somebody who claims to be a believer, but in their heart and in their mind, they're an antichrist right now. You may be dating somebody just like that right now. And you think, no, I mean, not, no, not Christina. No, not my girl Angela. No, she a Jesus freak, dude. She told me yesterday. I'm like, oh, man, that, yeah, man. Will she come to elevate? No, she don't come to she don't go to church though. Wait a minute. She a Christian that don't go to church? What the? You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, man, he's talking about my boo right now. This stupid little goofy girl. This dude, I'd invite him every week. He still don't come, but he says he's a Christian. Yes, that guy I'm talking about. That girl I'm talking about. Are they anti-Christ or are they counter-cultural? Because you will know by the actions, by the fruit that they give, which one are they? See, the world will make such a confession as stating they are believers, but their actions and relationship to the world will prove, will prove who they are and who they belong to. 
Yeah, I'm a Christian, dude. Yeah, man. You know, I go to church here and there and stuff. I go to Elevate. Yeah. Pastor Steve, dude, I know that dude. Yeah, it's cool, man. All right. And then you see him at the school or see her at the school. And what they doing? They chilling. F you, yo mama. I'm a kick your dog, pass that weed, you know what I mean? I'm going twerking this Saturday. You won't even know I'm turning 18. Hey, it's going down. This is what happens. So is that person a Christian or a non-Christian? A non-Christian. I know some of y'all don't want to answer that because I'm like, I cannot say that about my boo. I love that dude. I love her, man. I can't say they're a non-Christian because then that makes me question who I am. But you need to, you need to answer that question so you can know who you are. And if you're not counterculture or Christian, then you need to be up here today and become one, amen? Become a rebel for Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, we must choose our friends wisely and what we are hearing to make sure we are in the truth and the truth is in us and not false truth, lies. And moving on, verse 24 to 27, this is what it says. As for you, right? Somebody say, as for me. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. There's that word remain again. That word remain comes from the Greek word that means abide. Jesus talked about that in John 15, John's gospel. And it says, abide in me and I will abide in you, right? Stay close to me. Act in accordance to who I am. Don't go anywhere else. Don't be running off into the world. No, abide in me. Remain in me. That's something that we must do. It don't say, Jesus, you know, help me to remain in you. We can pray that. But ultimately, our, our job is to remain or abide and stay close to Jesus. That's something that we are called to do. Our actions. We don't sit around and wait for abiding to come. Well, I'm just waiting to abide in Jesus. Yeah, I'm just going to go in there and work that sucker out. Mm-mm, man, we just, you know, we bang Kanye. We just do what you want, bro? Man, I'm just waiting to abide in Jesus, dude. I'm just waiting. You know what I mean? You ain't doing nothing but sinning, dude. You just, you know, you just trying to do you. We need to do our part, and our part is to remain. It's to abide in Jesus Christ. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. He puts the perspective again and getting us to think about the temporary and, and parallel or contrast to the eternal. See, and some of us here, man, we are afraid to even come up here to this front and give our life to Jesus. You know why? Because we're so concerned about the temporary. Man, I don't want to give my life to Jesus today because I know tomorrow's Saturday and it's going to go down. My team won the championship. We all drink another low. We're going to Pedro's house. His mama's going to Wisconsin. We turning this sucker up. And then we're like, no, we're not going to. Dude, you don't even know if you're going to make it tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen at that job. Somebody may get, I mean, at that party, somebody may get stupid, pull out a gun and shoot everybody, including you. So the thing is, we need to start thinking about and thinking about the deals that we're making. Temporary versus eternal. Temporary versus eternal. Because eternal life comes from Jesus Christ when we're saved. It comes from doing the will of the Father and the will of the Father is to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and keep his commandments. The thing is, I wish I had like a little stringer here, but let me give you an example real fast of eternal life. This is, this ain't working. You guys see this, this line, right? How, how, many, how many years people live to these days? How many years do you think? 60, somebody said 85. Man, who's that? Woo! 85, that's a blessed life right there. But who would say 85? Because 85 is cool. It just sounds cool, right? I wish I could live to 85. But look, though, right, check this out. 
85 years old. It's about this big. You guys see this? 85 years old. About this much. Right? This is eternity. This is eternity. We don't even got enough rope for eternity. I mean, this thing just keeps going. Do you think, let me ask you guys something. I, I had this conversation with my daughter. Do you remember what you did when you were five years old? Anybody? <coughs> Anybody? Right? Humberto's like, dude, I got hit with a hammer at five years old. I, you're going to remember that. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to know that, like, dude, they hit me right in the forehead with a hammer at five. I had stitches. It's right here. You're gonna, I'm talking about just, like, basic stuff. Do you remember anything from five years old? Anybody? Who was that? Yeah, you remember it? What about three years old? Anybody three years old? Right? You remember? It's because at three years old, I kicked you down the stairs. That's what you remember that, girl. Nah. Angel, three years old, you remember? Right? Three years old. And you're how old right now? 14? 14, right? Do you remember, um, Amanda, what you did at three years old? How old are you right now? 17? 23 years old. She, I know. I was just playing, man. 23 years old. She does not remember at all what she did at two years old. Do you remember five years old? Six years old? A little bit of six, right? I had a little crush on this dude and stuff. He had an afro. He was crazy looking. I liked it. Like real stuff, right? Look at, look at, look at the husband. Like, dude, we ain't going there. I never want to remember her past. This is the reason why I'm asking you guys. I'm telling you guys. They're asking you guys this, right? If at 23 years old, you can't even remember what you did at like five years old, right? How much is the math? Who, who's good at math? How many years is that? 23, six? 18 years. After 18 years, you don't even remember what you did at two years old, three years old, five years old, right? You live for about 85 years old, right? And you die, right? 85, you probably, at that time, you probably don't remember what you did like that morning, right? Alzheimer's, whatever, right? But think about this. 85 years old compared to eternity, right? It takes about, let's say, 18 years. You don't remember what you did at five years old, right? And she's 23 now, right? 85 years old, you did everything temporary, didn't care about Jesus or his will. You die. After 80 years, we'll say, in hell and eternity, because you got eternity, Eternity, after 80 years, you don't even remember what you did at all. Think about that. If you had eternity on earth and you didn't go like heaven or hell, which is we lived just eternity on earth, bam, that's what it was, right? After 100 years of living eternity on earth, you don't, you don't even remember what happened before the 100 years. Like you don't remember when you were 16 and somebody smacked fire out of you. You don't remember none of this stuff. Think about this now, right? And you lived your life in a temporary state. And you didn't care because you thought, hey, I'm going to live YOLO right now. You only live once. I'm doing this now. I'm caring about today and tomorrow. I don't even care about what next week is. You die and you go to hell. After about 18 years, 20 years in hell, you don't even remember this little temporary life no more. The only thing you remember, which I believe, right, is that you remember the fact that you denied Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you lived a temporary life. And now you're in hell for eternity. Eternity. Think about that. You can't, matter of fact, you can't even think about that because you, your, your temporary mind, finite mind, can't even think about something that's infinite like eternity. But if we can think about it just for a second, I know to blow your mind. We're making temporary decisions thinking that tomorrow's promise in the face of eternity. In the face of eternity. We're saying, I'd rather go to hell because it doesn't matter after my life and live a temporary life and be in eternity in hell. That is a horrible decision. That is the worst deal you would ever make in your eternity. I kid you not. 
And so, therefore, John is trying to get us to think about these things. And so what we're called to do is this saying in here. He says, I'm writing to you these things. I'm, I'm telling you why I'm writing to you these things. About those who are trying to lead you astray. He's writing you and telling you about these things because the world itself is trying to lead us astray. They're trying to say, dude, it's YOLO. You only live once. Do whatever you want to do. You only get one life. Live it to the fullest. Dude, do your thing. Before you get married, have sex with everybody and their mom. Hey, practice on the dog. Do whatever you got to do. This is what the world tells us. You guys tripping on the whole dog part but miss everything else before that. You know what I mean? But this is what the world tells us to do. And only in church do we think it's weird. Only in church. We can talk about all type of craziness that they teach you right now in what they call health class, which you know it ain't no health class. It's like halfway porn right there, right? But they teach you this stuff. But when we talk about it in church, it's like, no, pastor, we can't do that. You only could do that in my high school. But if you come to my high school, we'll talk all day about this stuff. And I'll tell you what I did yesterday. What? No, we're talking about that right now in the presence of Jesus Christ. He is writing us these things because he's trying to warn us about the very world we are claiming to not love, but yet love so much within our hearts. Are you going to be a counter-cultural Christian or are you going to be a counter-Christ person? Which one are you going to be? As for you, the anointing, the Holy Spirit you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and, is that, and, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as that taught you, remain, abide in the truth. Abide in God. If we can all stand up, if I can get uh, uh, Stephanie up here real fast. Listen, guys. This is a call to action by John to protect and guard and study the truth that has been given to us. This is a call by John to say you must be countercultural because if you're not countercultural, that means you will believe the lies that the culture is giving you. You will begin to believe that homosexuality is okay. You will begin to believe that sinning is okay because you only live one life. You will begin to do the very things that you hate the world for, for what it's doing to sin for the world because you lose and stop being abiding or remaining in Christ Jesus. When you refuse to be a countercultural Christian, you will fall for anything. Anything. The very things that you said you would never accept, you are not, not only accepting it now, but you are living in it. The very things you said you would never do, you are not doing. Why? Because you never made a decision to be countercultural and to go against the world that it goes against God himself. And so we have a true or false right here. It says a Christian is one who remains and abides in the truth of Jesus Christ and lives in accordance to his truth and not the lies of this world. Making them a countercultural Christian who stands and lives contrary to the culture in the world. Is that true or false? Is that true or false? It's true. It is true. Because that is what a countercultural Christian does. A real Christian doesn't go with the flow of the world. It goes against that flow. And so in closing right here, 1 John 2, 28, and then these two verses it says, And now, dear children, any children we have in the house, any children of God we have in the house, the Bible says, he's telling us, continue in Jesus, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. 
See, many people here, we're, we're not confident. We're ashamed of Jesus Christ at our schools. We're ashamed of Jesus Christ on the streets. We're ashamed of Jesus Christ at Walmart. And he's saying that do the opposite of our culture. He says, no, continue in Jesus so that when he comes, you can be unashamed before him at his coming. He's even telling us in his statement, be countercultural. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Be unashamed of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power to change lives in this world. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of God. Are you born of God today? Are you living a righteous life in right standing with God? Or are you living in right standing with the world that goes against God? Who are you today? Are you a countercultural Christian? Or are you just a Christian that goes with the flow of the world in sin? Today, make that decision. John is saying, being born of God Almighty, be born again. Are you a countercultural Christian who does not act, live, or believe its false truth? But one who goes against the culture and world by living, by loving God, people, but hating the world and everything that goes against God's way of doing things. Is that you? If that's not you, you need to repent and ask God to come in your life and to love Jesus and not this world. Have you been caught up in false living and trying to love both the world and God? Is that you? I said, man, I've been trying to love both. Like Steve, I'm just being honest. I'm loving the world and trying to love God at the same time. But now I realize the truth and I can't do that. I need a pick right now. I want to encourage you. Choose God. Today's the day for salvation. Choose the Lord. So then you need to confess your sin and dedicate your life to Jesus. Have you, have you been abiding, continuing in the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God as Savior? An example of living, of living in love for God and others. If you haven't been doing that, you need to ask God to help you, give you refreshment so you can love God, love yourself, and love others. Have you been living a righteous life? Living righteously, showing the world that you are born of God and therefore live the way God would have you to live. If you haven't been doing that, confess your sins and to the Lord repent and turn to God. This is the word of God today. Simple question. Are you a countercultural Christian? Or are you an antichrist? Are you the very person or people who lead other people astray? Who speak lies to other people? Who just join in with the world? And on top of joining in with the world, you show an example to other Christians that, hey, doing this right here, we okay. We don't need the Son. We got God the Father. We don't need the example of Jesus. I'm the example, homie. Follow me. And you're following me, and they're following you straight to hell. Is that you? Today, be a countercultural Christian. If that's you, I want to invite you to come up here. We got about, about two minutes left. I want, to, I want to encourage you guys. Come up here and be a countercultural Christian. If you haven't been living that life, because that's a real Christian life, if that's not you, then you need to confess Jesus in your life and stop playing games. Stop playing games. If you're waiting for Jesus to do I'm just waiting for Jesus to do his will. Waiting for him to tell me. Look, he's telling you right now, be a countercultural Christian. Stand against this world of sin and stand for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We appreciate you, God. And, Lord God, for some of us here, Lord God, young or old, Lord God, yes, it is a fearful thing. It is fear when you look at the world and, and, and you're calling us to be a rebel, a countercultural Christian, because in doing that comes persecution. In doing that, it, it causes people to talk about us, to look down on us, to separate themselves from us. But God, you said that there no servant is greater than his master. 
So, God, I pray, Lord God, here am I. Use me, God. Send me, Lord. I want to be a countercultural Christian, God. Lord, I want to stand for you, and I want to stand against this world and the sinful behaviors of this world. I want to love people, but I want to hate the sin, God. I want to hate it so much, God, that I don't involve myself in it at all, God. I pray, Lord, to help me, God. Help me, Lord God, to live righteous life, God, to live righteously in right standing with you, to be born of you, God, and not born of this world and like this world. And God, I pray, Lord God, if there's people here today, God, touch your heart. God, they will get it right with you, God. They will confess your sins as we learn in, in chapter 1, God. Confess your sins unto the Lord. And that you're just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to wash us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that right now people will confess their sins, God. Their sins of being ashamed of you, God. Their sins of of just being just like the world because they're ashamed of being just like you. I pray that tonight, God, you will give us boldness to live for you. Boldness to do your will. Have your way, God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. If there's anybody else right now, we got one more minute left. If you need prayer for anything, I want to invite you to come up here. Let us pray with you. Come up here and deal with your sin with you and God the Father. And let the Lord forgive you of your sins and wash you of all impurities.